The message tonight is 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to finish verses 12 and 13. So we'll just read those verses again. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. You can see why I've got a conflict of interest in preaching on these verses tonight, because Paul is exhorting the believers in Thessalonica how to treat uh, their pastor and elders, those who are in a leadership position. Now, from verse 12 to the end of the letter, Paul is describing a church that is fashioned according to the New Testament. And brothers and sisters, that's where we must always go back to. We don't want to go back to the 1960s and 70s. We want to go further back. We don't want to go back to the 19th century, the golden age of preaching in Wales. I wouldn't mind going back there. We need to go further back. We don't want to go back to the Puritans. We don't want to go back to the Reformers. We want to go back to New Testament, primitive Christianity, if I can call it that. And every church will have its distinctives, will have its traditions. There's nothing wrong with that. But... Our church culture must always be fashioned by the word of God. And uh, these are family guidelines. The church is a family and God in a family situation has a structure. So even though we're all equal, uh, if you're a father, you are in a position of authority in a family. It doesn't make you more important than your wife and children. And if your children you are under the authority of your parents. Doesn't mean your parents can uh, lord it over you, but God has given us these structures. And it's the same in the church family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, but God has called some to be pastors, elders, to be leaders in the church. And we looked last time at what the pastors especially are called to do. Labor, that means toil to the point of exhaustion. They are over you in the Lord. So there is an authority there, but it's shepherd, uh, servant leadership. And then they are to admonish. That means by bringing the word of God in the preaching and in the counseling, we seek to change our attitudes and our behavior to conform to the word of God. And the dirty word, discipline, comes in then. It's not something purely negative. Church discipline isn't punitive. It's not to punish. It's to restore, to restore. Now we're going to look at the duty you have as a congregation to the leaders. Do you see it that way? Uh, if you put a group of ministers together, I think there's a gathering of ministers in Dinas Powys tomorrow morning. They will always blame the congregation. 
Ah, I had a difficult Sunday. Those people, they're so hard. If you ask the congregation, sometimes they will say, oh, we don't get anything from our pastor's ministries. The truth is somewhere in the middle. It's two-way, isn't it? We have a duty as pastors and elders towards you, but you have a duty as well towards us. And I would even say preaching is a two-way thing. Uh, it's not just one man speaking didactically from the pulpits. It's a two-way thing. Now then, let's look at this whole notion of submitting to one another. That's why I read at the start from Ephesians, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So if you're in a marriage situation, you submit to your husband, you submit to your parents. If we're in society, we submit to our leaders. And if we're in a church, we submit to our pastors and elders. Likewise, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, you younger men, submit to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? I know we're all dressed differently tonight. Some are more formal than others, but have you got the dress of humility on? That's the most important thing, and you don't have to go to Savile Row to get it. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We are living in a time in the West when authority is really not uh, the popular thing. Uh, my uh, upbringing in chapel, uh, people were much more submissive to authority in those days. We're thinking 1970s. People wouldn't dream of leaving their church. They would have to have a really, really good reason. And likewise, uh, Christians I've known from overseas countries, they have no problem submitting to authority. But we're very slow at it, aren't we? Just thinking of submitting uh, to our Welsh government here. Uh, they're not making it easy for us, but... So... Authority is something we in the West struggle with, but it's here in the Word of God. And before we look at the details in these verses, uh, I just want to say something here about church membership. I think this is the best place to bring it up. You will say, Pastor, there's nothing in the Bible about being a member of a church. I agree. But let me tell you, uh, when I was converted... I was a member of a church that didn't have church membership. Sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? We don't believe in membership. Well, it sounds good until you come to certain decisions that have to be made. How do you vote for a new pastor? Anybody could turn up, couldn't they? And have a say? How do you put yourself under the authority of the leaders of the church? Actually, how do you elect elders at all if there are no members? Can you see the difficulty? So just as we have citizenship 
in the United Kingdom. We are under the authority of the British government. The whole notion of church membership is implied, surely, in the verses we're considering this evening. How can we be under the authority of pastors and elders if we're not a member? I'll just let you mull that over. Now, we need to look at what Paul has to say here about the duty of members uh, and worshippers who are not members towards those in authority over them. Three things. I'll try and be as quick as possible. The first is recognize those who labor among you. And if you've got the authorized version, know them. So you've got to know their names. <laughs> Do you know who the pastors and elders are here? Uh, in some churches, do we have this now on our websites? There's a photo of each of the leaders so that people can know who they are. It does help, doesn't it? And the words in the New American Standard, which is the best translation, it can be wooden, but it's the most accurate, appreciates, appreciates your pastor's and elders. Uh, some other translation use the word respect those. What does the song say? Give a little respect. There's very little respect these days toward authority figures, and that has seeped into the church. I wonder if that's where the term reverend has come from. I personally don't know what to make of the term reverend, but it's useful, isn't it? Uh, because it shows that those elders who've been set apart to minister the word, and this is what we're thinking of, not just the elders, but the ministers, the pastors, they are respectable figures. Now that can be misused, can't it? But there is a respect. Uh, listen to Paul writing uh, to the Hebrews. Uh, this is uh, what is said. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Are we those who cause grief to our pastors and elders, or do we cause them joy? Are we a delight or are we a burden? Now then, let's open this up a bit. What does it mean to appreciate, to recognize those who are in authority over us? Let me say what it doesn't mean. <laughs> we all swing, don't we, from one extreme to the other. Either you've got a pastor or an eldership that's above criticism and dare anyone disagree with them or they're blacklisted that's one extreme the other extreme is the pastors and elders are just criticized for everything now that's not appreciating is it and it's definitely not respecting so let me say what it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you cannot disagree with your pastors and elders 
I like the fact that many of you are sitting in the sermon tonight with your Bibles open because you can see whether what I'm preaching on is biblical or not. Like the Bereans. The Bereans didn't take Paul's word as uh, infallible. They searched the Scripture to see whether what the Apostle and others was preaching was the very word of God. So we shouldn't have a completely uncritical attitude to those who are in authority, especially to those who preach the Word of God. But there's a difference between that and having a critical attitude, isn't there? It's an attitude. So we can agree to disagree on all sorts of things. Thank God for a church where we're allowed to do that. We've got a meeting of church council on Tuesday. Thank God for a church where the elders and deacons discussing the minutiae, and sometimes it is the minutiae of church life, can disagree in a good spirit. So when we're told to appreciate and respect, it does not mean uh, putting the preacher, the elder, on a pedestal and never, ever disagreeing with them. We can disagree but we appreciate them. It's that balance, isn't it? Let me give you an example from one of the commentators. Let me just show the negativity that can uh, happen when this isn't the case. A pastor friend, this is what the commentator writes, related to me his experience during a home visit when a man verbally abused him and spoke in highly disrespectful tones. Now, that's a horrible experience anyway. But then the pastor's chief lament was for the grave injury done to the man's sons who sat watching. How will these boys ever respect the ministry of God's word? And my heart goes out this evening to... A generation of children, now they're young people, and they've been disillusioned regarding church because of a disrespectful attitude in their parents towards God's minister and towards the leadership. So this is vital, vital. So it's a positive thing as well. It's not just... Uh, not about being disrespectful. It's really positive, isn't it? What does it mean? It's much more than putting up with the pastors, uh, the elders. Is that our attitude? Well, I, I don't really like them, but I'll put up with them. My friend, that's not appreciating and respecting. What does it mean? Positively. Well, let me say this. Contrary to what a number of people think, pastors and elders are human beings. They have feelings. They are real people. They don't live on some super spiritual planet. And I'm thinking of pastors especially here, because we are on the front line and we're often isolated 
Now, if you imagine somebody in a war situation, because we are in a spiritual battle, who is constantly on the front line, and anything that person hears is just negative, and sometimes there's a place for constructive criticism, but imagine if all that is heard is negativity, that person will very soon be crushed. We we all need to know that we're appreciated. The Apostle Paul wasn't so spiritual as not to thank, and I'm not just thinking now of those in leadership position. Read the letters of Paul. It's here in Thessalonians. It's in all of his letters, more or less, how he thanks different individuals in the church. We should be thanking one another, and we're not patting ourselves on the back in doing that. We're giving thanks to God in doing that. Because it's encouraging one another in the work. It's not just the leadership team, but we're all on the same team, aren't we? And you know what? A little word of encouragement can go a long way. I've got to the age now where I'm becoming uh, more of a veteran when it comes to the ministry. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for the young men over many years that we've seen uh, from this church and other churches go out preaching. And I don't know if I'm doing it, but I'm determined to be an encourager to them. I'm determined. Now, forgive me for being so practical here, but just a text message sometimes can mean something to a young preacher. A thank you after the service. That shows that you appreciate them. Now, I know some will say, but we don't want them to be proud. I know. But let's not go to the other extreme. We don't want them crushed either, do we? So, recognize those. Respect them. Appreciate them. If, if you're ever in a committee, it's right to disagree sometimes. We, we don't want our committees to be filled with yes men or women. Uh, if the church is to go forward, there must be that iron sharpening iron. But having said that, we want to pull together, don't we? We don't want to be constantly awkward in our uh, uh, reaction and then there are all sorts of other things I just want to just mention one in particular acts of kindness acts of kindness oh my friends I know uh, this church is full of such people angels that's what the author to the Hebrews called them you don't know sometimes whether you'll entertain angels. And it's not just uh, those who are ministers of the word, but I think God has his angels in this congregation, ministering angels to God's servants. I don't know how some of you know the exact timing of bringing a meal or showing an act of kindness to God's servants in this church, the Lord must lay it upon your hearts because 
It has often happened to me and to others who are serving here at exactly the right moments when a person was feeling down, an angel, a ministering spirit, one of the members of the church turned up at the door. What a privilege. So, so this is the first uh, attitude we're to have, to respect, to appreciate. And if we find it hard to appreciate, why don't we ask the Lord to help us? Lord, help me to appreciate uh, Wynne and Andy and Nathan and all the elders. They may have different personalities to me, but I'll come to that in a minute. So the next thing is even harder. <laughs> Not only recognize, appreciate, but esteem them. And not just esteem them, esteem them very highly. Now that could just be an outward thing, but it goes even further. Esteem them very highly in love. John MacArthur, this is a good quotation. The church is the most blessed institution on earth. The only one built by Jesus Christ himself. The only institution he promised to eternally bless. Did you get that? I don't know if you're a member of an esteemed institution. Uh, John Peters, whose widow Audrey uh, died a few weeks ago. Uh, John went to be with the Lord a year ago. He was uh, famous, apparently, for his stamp collection. He, he, he was uh, a recognized authority on stamp. Is there anybody here who belongs, I don't know, to the royal institution? You count it a privilege, don't you, of being a member of such a body? Well, I'm sorry to have to say it. Uh, your institution isn't going to last forever. But this is, the church is, and... This, this is what Paul is saying. If you really love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you really esteem the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to love and esteem his servants. You're going to love and esteem his people. A low view of the church comes from a low view of Jesus Christ himself. Let me read some verses. Uh, go to chapter 2 of Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Verse 13. This is how the believers treated Paul when he first came to them. Chapter 2, verse 13. We constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you extended accepted it not as the word of man but as the word of God so here were these preachers and they had come from Philippi do you know what had happened to them in Philippi Paul and Silas they'd not been staying in a five-star hotel they'd been in a dungeon they'd been whipped they probably bore the scars 
of that. They would have been traumatized, so there wouldn't have been much to look at. But these people in Thessalonica, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, recognize these are God's servants. And the word they're bringing to us is the very word of God. That is respect. And then Galatians goes even further. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 14. What, what is poignant here is that Paul is speaking of the past. Uh, listen to him. Galatians 4, 14. It was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. He had an eye condition, so he must have been a sad sight uh, to have an eye infection. Uh, we've seen people uh, with such a condition. And this is how he was when he preached the gospel first to the Galatians. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me, and this is it, as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Now, Paul is speaking of the past, but the Galatians have turned against Paul. They've been bewitched by false teachers. But in the past, and Paul is reminding them of that, they highly esteemed him as the servant of God. They treated him as the ambassador of the king of kings. And because he was representing the court of King Jesus, they so respected him. Now, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? Let me read what Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said. How does Christ speak but by his ministers, his preachers? As a king speaks by his ambassadors, know that in every sermon preached, God calls you, and to refuse the message we bring is to refuse God himself. In other words... To treat God's servants with contempt is to treat God in such a way. It is a sin, and we might point our finger against the sins of society, but what about the respectable sins of the evangelical church? There was a revival in Romania in the 1970s under Josef Son, and it started out with a repentance of the repentant ones. It was the believers who were awakened. Can I ask you, are you highly esteeming the elders, um, myself, Andy, and Nathan as a trainee, not because of who we are in ourselves. Look at how Paul puts it. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Because of the office we are occupying. Do you know what the word office means? It's not as one student in Bible college when I was there uh, thought when Graham Harrison gave us an essay to describe the pastor's office. Uh, this student uh, went about describing where the bookcases were, where the desk was to be. No, it's the position, the work of the ministry of the word. Uh, I, I met once uh, 
an ambassador. When I was visiting the Horn of Africa, I, I met the British ambassador uh, to uh, Ethiopia. I had a meal with him. It was a great privilege. Imagine an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now, is there something that's a trial to you? Uh, for the Galatians, Paul's eye condition could have been a trial. It could have been off-putting. Is there something that's a trial for you? You need to ask God to help you overcome it when it comes to his servants. Timothy, Paul told Timothy, I don't know how Timothy was to do this, let no one despise your youth. How, how was Timothy to do that? Spurgeon apparently grew a beard so that he looked older. But is somebody's youthfulness causing you not to highly esteem them as God's servants? I heard of one church. They were interested in a young man, but they didn't vote for him because he looked too young. He looked too young. That doesn't make sense, does it? What else can be a trial to people? The manner of preaching. Paul would have preached in a different way to Timothy because they're different people. I preach in a different style to Andy who preaches in a different style to Nathan, the visiting preachers that we have. We've all got our different personalities. We've got to rise above that and esteem the office. In other words, we come to church and we pray, Lord, speak to me through your servants. We're all different personalities, aren't we? And in a church this size, some personalities are going to rub each other the wrong way. Uh, well, thank God for different personalities because it'll be good for our sanctification. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is we treat the office of elder, the office of minister, pastor, with great respect and esteem because it is God's kingdom. It's God's ambassador. It's God's overseers. Uh, I was reading about a missionary. He was uh, translating the Bible into the native language of a tribal people. It's difficult, isn't it, if you're working with tribal people because there are all sorts of words they don't have to describe things that need to be translated. And one word... Uh, was obedience. This man did not know what word to use to translate obedience. And then he went home with one of the tribal elders, and as he got home, he whistled for his dog to come. And his dog came running. And this is what the elder said, your dog is all ear. Your dog is all ear. So that's the word he translated, uh, obedience, uh, for all ear. Are we all ear when we come to church on Sunday? Not to hear Wynne or Andy or Nathan, but to hear our blessed Saviour. I had somebody say to me once, I heard well. It wasn't because I was using my voice well. It was the fact that they heard Jesus Christ speak through me. May we all know more of that. I heard well. 
I haven't got time to go into another aspect of highly esteeming uh, those serving the Lord. Uh, let me just briefly quote from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. The uh, emphasis there is on remuneration. Paul's tent making was an exception. The norm is that those who preach the word shall live by the word. As Paul says in the same chapter in Timothy, the laborer is worthy of his wages. If we highly esteem an office, it will be shown in terms of the remuneration. Uh, think of uh, the old adage in Welsh nonconformity about pastors, let's keep them poor so that they can be kept dependent on the Lord. Keep them humble. No, that's not a good thing. It's not good either when you've got prosperity preachers flying in Lear jets. That's not biblical. But it's highly esteeming the office. And it covers all sorts of things. Uh, if a pastor is to live in a manse, that manse reflects the office. The office. Uh, I, I don't need to uh, go into any more detail. Let's just look at the last thing. So we're to appreciate were to highly esteem for their work's sake, for their work's sake. So think of uh, the authority here in Wales. For better, for worse, we've got a Labour government. And we're to submit to those in authority. You may be a Labour supporter, you may not be, but you submit. I know it's hard, but we need to pray for grace and how much more is it for God's servants in the church? And then the last thing here, and be at peace among yourselves. It makes sense, doesn't it? If we submit to those whom God has put in positions of authority, not those lording it over us, but those who are exercising an office called of God, and if they are trying to do that by servant leadership, so not banging with a stick, not heavy shepherding. And if we are all trying to submit to one another in the fear of God, isn't there a harmony there? Isn't there a lovely, lovely picture of a church at peace? And the opposite is true. So James says... Be not too many teachers. So if you've got everybody in the church trying to be an authority, <laughs> trying to teach everyone how they should live, well, you're not going to have peace, are you? <laughs> you're going to have conflict. And what's behind that? We think it's some spiritual uh, reason, but it's not. Listen to James in chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? The lack of peace. You lust and do not have you are envious and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel people say oh it's some spiritual thing it's not it's an ugly thing called pride it's wanting to have your own way that's why humility 
humility takes the lower parts. As one person put it, a monkey in silk is a monkey no less. It doesn't matter how fine the garments are. Behind it, it's just ambition. Horrible, isn't it? Even the disciples struggled with that before the crucifixion, arguing over who would be greatest. And what did Jesus say to them? Let he who is greatest be servant to all. That's a lovely picture. As Nathan was talking on Wednesday night about Jonathan, a picture of Jesus Christ. May we never want the preeminence. There was somebody in the church who loved the preeminence. May we love to take the lowest seats. May we love just to be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than in the pulpit. Really, I would. That's what I was doing in my first church, a doorkeeper. Well, may God help us to watch our own hearts the problem isn't the other person the problem is me if all of us had that attitude i think we would know more and more of this peace of christ calvin the artifices of satan which ceases not to use every endeavor to stir up quarrels or disagreements or enmities between people and pastors elders I've not been able to write a hymn since being in this church. I don't think I've got our previous pastor's gift in that area. The best I can come up with is adapting a verse from the hymn we've just sung. Sweetly may we all not agree, because we don't have to agree on everything. Sweetly may we all submit. Does that sound all right? Yep. Touched with softest sympathy, even if it's a person who doesn't like you or you don't like them you show sympathy to them you do that you win them there is neither bond nor free no key members no powerful families but we're one in thee love like death hath all destroyed rendered all distinctions void names and sects and parties fall Thou, O Christ, art all in all. Amen. Let us sing now to finish. It's a hymn, really, for revival, and it's a hymn that celebrates Christmas, and it's a hymn about the church. All glory to God in the sky, and peace on earth be restored. Think of Gaza and Israel, and then it talks about Uh, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So this hymn has got everything in it and it's got a good tune as well. Number 366.
those words. And we pray, O oh God, uh, for our own church, not just for the situation in Israel and Gaza. And we pray for our relationships with one another and for our relationships with other churches. O oh, Father in heaven, we uh, pray for our relationship to those in Highfields and in Tabernacle. Uh, and we pray, O oh God, uh, that by a miracle of grace, we will be able to show the world our unity in Jesus Christ. Not a fake one, but one that is born of thee. And now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenants, make us complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sights, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.